Welcome to Working for Women, the Independent Women's Forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Hadley Heath Manning, Senior Policy Analyst at the Independent Women's Forum and your host for today's Working for Women podcast. Today, I'm honored to be here with Linda Chavez, who's an expert on immigration and president of the Becoming American Institute, a group dedicated to promoting assimilation and elevating the perceptions of Hispanic immigrants among the American population. In the past, Linda's held a number of appointed positions in the U.S. government, including working as the highest ranking woman in the Reagan White House. And she's also worked on a United Nations subcommission on the prevention of discrimination and the protection of minorities. Linda, thank you so much for being our guest today. It is great to be with you, Hadley. So maybe to get started for our listening audience, can you just tell us a little bit about the work that you do at the Becoming American Institute? Well, I started the Becoming American Institute about two years ago uh, because I saw a real vacuum uh, among conservatives of of organizations that promoted a pro-assimilation, pro-immigration point of view. Uh, Unfortunately, I think the immigration debate uh, has become very polarizing, and the positions that once were common among conservatives, which was for generous immigration policies, uh, support for the employer's right to hire whomever he or she wanted to hire to do a specific job, seemed to have waned in recent years as people became concerned about the influx of so many illegal immigrants. And so I thought that the uh, best thing I could do would be to go out and uh, give speeches, do writing, and work with conservative groups in trying to really give a, a different point of view on immigration policy and to talk most specifically about the success of Hispanic immigrants in integrating and assimilating into the American mainstream. That's been something I've been writing about, oh, for 30 or 40 years. So one of the things I saw on your group's website is it says you're making the conservative case for immigration. If you just gave an overview or a few bullet points, what exactly is uh, what you call the conservative case for immigration? Well, I think um, all of us are concerned about having uh, a border that is too porous and does not have the kind of security that we expect, particularly in the age of mass terrorism. So all of us want to secure the border. The question is how best to do that. And it's my view that uh, the best way to secure the border is to allow for legal immigration uh, to be able to bring in the people that simply want to come here to perform jobs that others are not taking. Um, And thereby focus our resources, and we have many more recesses now uh, on the border than we had even 10 years ago, uh, focus those resources on catching the really bad guys, the drug dealers, the potential terrorists. So legal immigration reform is, in my view, the key to border security. And so that's what I've been out there talking about with conservatives for the last couple of years. That's so great, Linda. I'm a big fan personally of Ronald Reagan's City on a Hill speech. And one of the the lines that I like the most is about how, you know, if this city uh, has walls, then those walls have doors so that the people with the heart and the will to get there can and can contribute to our economy and to our society. So I know I'm paraphrasing Reagan's words, but I think that's a a very important part of who we are as Americans. Um, One of my concerns, and, you know, I hear this from elites 
on the right and the left who uh, are in favor of immigration. And I also, uh, you know, I hear a different point of view, um, maybe from people who are opposed to immigration, even sometimes opposed to legal immigration, is that the people who suffer most from immigration are low-skilled American workers or middle-class Americans who who don't, you know, maybe have, have a, a lot of skills to compete in today's economy. So this expression that I, I don't like to hear is uh, the immigrants are taking American jobs. But what's your counterpoint to that? Or how can we explain better that, um, that people aren't really taking jobs from other people? Well, you know, this is part of uh, my conservative message. Because as conservatives, we've always believed uh, in not looking at the economy as a static thing. It isn't as if it's a pie and that when you cut up the pieces, if I get a bigger share of the pie, you get less. That has never been the conservative approach to the economy. We've always understood that the economy is a dynamic thing, that in fact, if you grow the economy, if you expand the economy, there's more for everybody. And this is very important in understanding the role that immigrants have in our economy. It isn't that immigrants are coming in and that there are a fixed number of jobs in the United States, and for every immigrant who takes a job, that means one less American who has a job. Uh, in fact, what immigrants do, as with all population growth, is they grow the economy. Uh, and it's very interesting because the opposition to immigration really comes out of a movement that started on the left, that started with those who were very concerned about population uh, they wanted to make sure that the uh, population did not grow. In fact, the founder of the organization was the former president of the uh, Michigan Planned Parenthood Association. He was on the board of the Sierra Club. Um, this was a group that had a kind of Malthusian uh, approach uh, to population, and they really believed that a population explosion would, in fact, make all of us uh, end up starving to death. Well, as conservatives, we know that's not the way it works. People are human capital. And when immigrants come into the United States and they take jobs, first of all, they don't take the same jobs that Americans uh, take. Uh, immigrants fall into two categories. They're either low skill. Many of the immigrants from Latin America come in with, without a high school education. They take jobs that uh, do not require high skills and are not competing with Americans who, on average, have at least some college. Um, and the other group of immigrants are those who come in at the very high-skilled end. We don't, unfortunately, produce enough uh, native engineers and mathematicians and scientists, and so the immigrants who come in at the high end are taking jobs that otherwise uh, would not, um, you know, would go wanting because we don't have enough trained people. So this idea that they come in and take jobs that Americans would take is, first of all, not correct. They are in different sectors of the economy. But it's more than that. When an immigrant comes in and takes a job and lives in a community, what does he do? Well, if um, he has a family, uh, he rents a house uh, after a few years of working. Uh, even illegal immigrants end up buying homes. They buy cars. They go to the grocery store and buy groceries. Uh, if they're successful, many of them go off and instead of working, you know, uh, as a gardener on somebody else's landscaping team, they go out and start their own company. All of this brings more money into the local economy and creates more jobs so that for every 
immigrant worker who's working, he's actually expanding the economy. And um, it really is the way that we as conservatives always used to look at economic issues. We understood that it wasn't static, that it was dynamic. And so my answer is you should thank an immigrant, uh, not uh, wish that he or she was not there when you see them working at jobs because they are contributing to your local economy. That's such a great perspective, Linda, and I, I see sort of a parallel in the work that we do at IWF. We often talk about women in the economy. We're constantly reminding people that the economy is not a zero-sum game and that someone else's you know, success or prosperity doesn't necessarily dictate suffering for someone else. So I think that's a, an important and, and well-put point. But, you know, I think a lot of people look at the immigration issue as a policy issue, and uh, we wonder, you know, is anything ever going to happen? Is anything going to change with regard to our laws? And so I want to ask you, you know, what changes to the law or to public policy do you believe are necessary, would be beneficial to us and to people who immigrate to the United States? And do you see a way forward for immigration reform in the U.S.? Well, unfortunately, the politics of the issue right now have been uh, become embroiled in presidential politics, and there's a lot more heat uh, and rhetoric that's being generated than there are good policy ideas. But my view is that, yes, we absolutely need a major overhaul of our immigration laws. Our legal immigration system is broken, which is why we have a problem with illegal immigration. You know, the 11 million people who are here now uh, about a third of them came in legally, by the way, and simply overstayed the terms of their visas. But even for the two-thirds who crossed that border illegally, uh, often at great peril to themselves, um, didn't come here that way because they were too lazy or didn't, you know, want to wait uh, and apply for a visa and come the right way. The fact is, for most of the people who are here illegally, there was no opportunity for them to come legally. If you're a Mexican-born man and you have only a high school education or even less, and you have no first-order relative here in the United States, even if you were to apply in Mexico to immigrate to the United States, the fact is that if you were 20 years old, you would probably be uh, almost reaching retirement age by the time uh, a position opened up for you to immigrate legally. So that's, that's the problem. People say, well, you should get in line. There really is no line. The line stretches uh, for decades. And so uh, what we need to fix is our legal immigration system. Right now we have a system that uh, was started in the 1960s, and it grew out of the idea of reunifying families. So we give preference to people based on whether or not they have a close relative already here in the United States. Now, there was some logic in that. Uh, it's easier um, if you have somebody in your family here and you immigrate. They're more likely to help take care of you, find you a job, give you a place, place to live. So there was some logic in that, but it's now an outdated idea. And while we do need to have some form of uh, the ability for people to bring close relatives, parents to bring their children, their children to bring uh, their parents, um, that ought not to be the basis of our immigration system. We need to look to what our needs are, what our economic needs are. And as I said earlier, those economic needs fall in two places. One at the high end for the so-called STEM workers, and one at the low end for people who are going to take jobs doing things like processing chickens 
uh, and there's, or uh, meat or working on farms uh, or picking, you know, peaches and tomatoes and, and lettuce. Uh, those jobs need doing. And unless we're willing to say, okay, we're going to get out of the agricultural business, we're going to grow all of our tomatoes in Mexico rather than having Mexicans come here to help harvest them. Uh, if we're willing to say that, then we could do without these workers. But again, that would have a devastating impact on local economies. We would be poorer for that, not richer. So we need to fix that immigration system so that people have a way to come here legally and it ought to be skills-based. We also probably should give some extra points for people to come who already speak English because I think this is one of the major frustrations that Americans have. They really hate the idea that when you, you know, go to the bank or when you, you know, uh, call, you know, the pharmacy, you have to press one for English or (laughs) press two for Spanish. That irritates people. And it is true that assimilation, the key to assimilation is learning the English language. Now, the good news is, Hispanic immigrants are learning English every bit as rapidly. In fact, uh, many studies suggest more rapidly than previous uh, cohorts of immigrants did. But because there's always an influx of newcomers coming in, when you just sort of take a snapshot, it looks like, uh, you know, we, we, don't, uh, we don't assimilate well. But the, uh, the proof of assimilation is never in the first generation. You know, we have this fantasy that when the Germans and the Italians and the Poles and others were coming in the 19th and early 20th century, that they learned English right away and they, you know, lined up to get naturalized and became American citizens. Well, that's really a very romantic view of history and is not accurate. It took a generation, sometimes two generations, In the case of Italians, it took 70 years before Italian-Americans caught up with other Americans in their education levels. So assimilation does take time. But the good news is, uh, with Hispanic immigrants, which is the group about which people have the most concern, that assimilation is going very rapidly. Second-generation Hispanics, those who have immigrant parents but were born here in the United States, uh, graduate high school at virtually identical rates to uh, non-Hispanic whites. There's only a 2% differential in the graduation rates. And the most remarkable thing is that they're actually slightly more likely to go on to college than the native-born. So um, we're doing a good job of assimilating people, but giving extra points for people who speak English uh, to immigrate, I think, is a good idea because it would help uh, really make that process go, go more smoothly. And there's no reason why you can't learn English, even if you are uh, sitting back home in a, in a village in Guatemala uh, or Mexico. Uh, with the advent of the Internet, um, you know, lang- language courses and, and the ubiquity of, of uh, American culture, uh, learning at least rudimentary English is something I think immigrants should be able to do. So I would base it on skills. I would base it on uh, our needs. But most importantly, I would make it flexible so that when we have a lot of jobs being created, as we did in the 1990s when you had the biggest influx of illegal immigrants coming in, uh, we let in more people legally. Uh, when we have a recession, uh, the Great Recession that we had in 2008, 2009, then you, you know, you shut off the spigots. You don't let as many people. And in fact, uh, illegal immigrants really do respond to, to market forces. There are far fewer illegal immigrants coming today than there have been in, uh, four decades. 
Uh, and that's because the, the Obama economy has been lousy in terms of creating the kind of jobs that um, they would be able to uh, obtain. So, you know, we saw the construction industry bottom out, and it hasn't really come back yet. Uh, that, that was the biggest source of jobs for illegal immigrants. So they are actually responding to the market. What we need to do is make our legal system respond to the market so that we bring in people when the economy is good and we bring in fewer people when the economy is not doing so well. Well, everything you're saying, Linda, makes perfect sense to me. But are there any, do you see any policymakers who are talking about, you know, some of these solutions and some of these shifts and attitudes towards immigration reform? Are there any leaders or policymakers out there doing a good job talking about the immigration issue? And if there's anyone out there you think is doing a particularly bad job, you might mention that as well. But how is this issue playing out in today's politics? Are, is there hope for some leaders or some policymakers to do good things? You know, I spend a lot of my time on Capitol Hill meeting with uh, members of, and their staffs uh, on this issue. And what I'm hearing from my fellow conservatives is nothing is going to get done until 2017. And there's a very simple reason for that. Uh, they do not trust uh, the president to implement uh, a law properly. I mean, when the president signed his executive orders, uh, right after the election last year, he really poisoned the well in terms of any productive dialogue in working out a solution for uh, this issue. Uh, it was really a slap in the face. Um, he didn't do it in such a way that he brought people in and said, look, let's start talking about getting something moving. And if it doesn't get moving, then I'm going to have to take, you know, executive action. Uh, that would have been one approach. He didn't take that approach. He simply threw up his hands and said, without ever really um, sitting down productively uh, with the Republican leadership to try to move something. So I, I think um, I think we're not going to see anything till 2017. But there are a number of uh, policy uh, people out there. Marco Rubio is saying all the right things in the presidential race. He's saying, first, we have to secure the border. Then we have to tackle legal immigration reform. And then after we've done those things, then we will deal with what to do about the 11 million people who are here. I think as a practical matter, that's going to be the way it happens. You're not going to see uh, any significant change until you have border security coupled with legal immigration reform. And as I said, and I think as Senator Rubio knows for well, the two go hand in hand. They're complementary. Uh, it's not that one is going to be complete first and then the next is going to uh, take place. They really do go hand in mm -hmm. hand. But he's not the only one. There are several. Uh, obviously, um, uh, Governor Bush has, has spoken well about it. The one person who has spoken most um, incorrectly about it is Donald Trump. And he has really, I think, uh, made this issue uh, radioactive. Uh, and it's really unfortunate. I wrote a piece, a cover story in Commentary Magazine uh, in the October issue, and uh, it's all about uh, Donald Trump and his immigration position. He has really, really made it difficult uh, to reach some kind of reasonable, productive policy reform. Hmm. So, Linda, stepping away from the policy issue of immigration, is there anything that we can do as individual Americans or in our communities to help foster a better discussion about immigrants or about immigration in the United States? Well, I think one of the most important things is get the facts right. Uh, we're not being invaded now by, you know, hordes of illegal immigrants who are sneaking across the border to steal American jobs. That's not what's happening. As I said, 
illegal immigration is down to a 40-year low. Uh, in fact, there are fewer Mexicans immigrating than leaving the United States. The Mexican-born population in the United States for the last two years has been shrinking, and it has always been the largest source of both legal and illegal immigration. It isn't now. Uh, China and India surpass Mexico now in legal immigration. So get the facts right. Um, secondly, take a look at the reality of the jobs that people are doing. I always say to my conservative uh, friends, do you really want your child or grandchild uh, to go get a job uh, picking peaches in, in the western slope of Colorado or cut, cutting up chicken parts uh, in Greeley, Colorado? Is that what you want? Is that what you've spent, you know, all the money we have on education and uh, for, for your child to do that job? And yet those jobs are important to our economy. And so why not give the opportunity for somebody for whom that is really a step up and provides a toehold in the American economy. Why not give that person a chance for that job? And again, they're going to spend their money in your local community. They're going to pay taxes in your local community. 100% of immigrants, including illegal immigrants, pay property taxes, either as, you know, if they're homeowners, they pay it directly. If they're renters, they pay it through their rent. Uh, 100% of them pay sales tax. Uh, a huge number of them pay Social Security taxes, even if they're here illegally and don't have uh, their own Social Security number. In fact, $12 billion a year in extra cash flow comes into the Social Security system from the contributions of people who are working illegally. So uh, just get the facts. Um, our, you know, There are many good uh, sources of information, the Becoming American Institute, uh, .org is uh, our website. Uh, the PewHispanic.org uh, uh, is a very good uh, resource on uh, Hispanic assimilation. They do studies all the time, analysis of, you know, English learning and education, home ownership, labor force participation, earnings, all sorts of good uh, demographic data comes out of that organization. The National Immigration Forum uh, works with a group called Bibles, Badges, and Business, and that is what just what it sounds like. It's the evangelical and, and um, religious community working alongside law enforcement and working alongside the business community to talk about immigration reform. So arm yourself with facts so that when you hear outrageous things on talk radio uh, or you see, you know, something that you think is probably wrong in the newspapers, you can get out there and write a letter to the editor or place a phone call and, and straighten out the people who are spreading misinformation. That is all wonderful information, Linda. Can you repeat maybe the web address where they can find the Becoming American Institute and any other um, ways to find out more about you or your work? Yes, that's probably the best way you can Google me. I've got lots and lots of Google hits, but uh, the Becoming American Institute, it's, it's becomingamericaninstitute.org. And uh, it's all, you know, one word just spelled out. And uh, you can find our website there. You can find us on Facebook. Um, we'd love you to go and join up there. And we try to do frequent updates to our website with uh, news articles and the most recent research and the most recent things that I've written on the issue. Uh, and you can also read my weekly column, which is available at Town Hall. Um, it's uh, in newspapers around the country, but the one of the best sources for it is uh, Town Hall. Thank you so much, Linda. Thanks for being our guest today. Thank you, Hadley.
Okay, so this has been another edition of IWF's Working for Women podcast. We really appreciate Linda Chavez for being our guest today. And for those of you who listened, thank you for tuning in. You can find out more about this topic and many more at IWF.org. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.